pray together. Jesus, we behold you, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, and you know us, and we know our own hearts and our own lives that we're deeply flawed with sin, yet you love us, and you sent your Son to die for us. And we thank you that we're under the new covenant of your grace, that you, Jesus, are enough. You're more than sufficient for our sins. So may we be encouraged tonight. We invite your Holy Spirit to teach us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sin is universal, isn't it? And sin is brutal. It's absolutely brutal. It does damage in our lives, and we see that the wages of sin is death. As God gave the law to the children of Israel, he knew that they were going to fall short. Because of their sin, there needed to be sacrifice for sin. There needed to be atonement that was made for sin. Remember, the children of Israel are traveling through the wilderness to the promised land, And God puts everything on pause in order for them to have worship, for the tabernacle to be built, for all of these sacrifices to be put in place, for the feasts that they're going to celebrate every year. If you're like me and you're on a road trip, it's all about destination. How do we get there as quick as possible? And God says, no, it's not about getting to the promised land as quick as possible. It's about worship. You probably felt it tonight and sensed it tonight, the goodness of worshiping the Lord. When our perspective gets on the Lord, when we give him the sacrifice of praise, our souls get aligned. We're seeking first uh, the kingdom of God. So God wanted to instill worship in the hearts of uh, his, his people. As we look at the sin offering and the trespass offering, Last week, we looked at the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. And those were voluntary offerings where the sin offering and the trespass offering are mandatory because all sin. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. So God's giving this instruction to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them. So we're held accountable for the things that we do unintentionally. And the value of these chapters, it shows us the nature of sin, but it also shows us the nature of God and God's holiness, and ultimately the sacrifice of Christ. When we think of sin, oftentimes we think of willful rebellion. And that's trespass that we're going to study in just a moment. But also sin is what we do unintentionally. Have you ever had that epiphany, that aha moment where you didn't even know that you've done something wrong and then you realize, oh, I blew it right here. I shouldn't have said this and this was wrong before God and this, this hurt my family or this hurt, hurt my friends. It wasn't like we intended to sin. It's not like we said, I'm going to sin right now in this moment. It was unintentional, but yet, in fact, we did sin. So the sin offering is for those unintentional sins. So when it becomes aware, in verse 3, if the appointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hands on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. So the bull was to be the sacrifice for sin. So you have an innocent animal that's being killed for sin without blemish. 
being the best of the herd to be sacrificed. Death had to occur upon this bull, and the priests would lay their hands upon the bull before that they would kill it. And the idea is identification, understanding that this bull is paying the price for my sin. Ultimately pointing to Jesus who had paid the price for our sin and us identifying with Christ that Christ has taken my sin upon himself. And this bull had to die. Blood had to be shed. In Hebrews it says that without the remission of sin or without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So each sin sacrifice, each sin offering, each bull that was killed for sin ultimately pointed to Jesus. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, Jesus is about ready to start his public ministry. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's this whole history of thousands, millions of animal sacrifice for sin. And now Jesus is the final sacrifice. So the blood has to be shed in order for there to be the remission of sin. That's how brutal sin is. The wages of sin is death. In verse 5, then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. So this is outside of the Holy of Holies. In the tabernacle, the, the priest would put his finger into the blood and then sprinkle it seven times. Every detail is important for us in Scripture. Why seven times? Because seven's the number of completion. When Jesus hung upon the cross, there was seven sayings upon the cross. There's seven things that he declared upon the cross, fulfilling the ultimate sacrifice for sin. So the sprinkling of the blood seven times. You'll find in the New Testament there's reference to being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And this goes back to Leviticus. Where we're not sprinkled with the blood of a bull, but we're sprinkled with the blood of Christ that cleanses us for sin. So it gives us detail on the sin offering from verse 7 to verse 12. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining of blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as a sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And it was taken from the bowl of the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head and its legs and its entrails and offal, the whole bowl he shall carry outside the camp to, clean, to a clean place, where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So after the bull is sacrificed, then the priests were to take the remains of, of the bull outside of the camp where the bull would then be burned. Again, this is pointing to Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem, outside of the camp where he was the sacrifice for our sins. As we've been studying Leviticus, I've been trying to put myself 
into the role of the priest. And I encourage you to do, do the same because it's a very difficult job, a very bloody job, really the job of a butcher and having to sacrifice uh, for sin and to do it over and over again. It's not like this is just one time. This is continual until Christ came. Could you imagine like, hey, honey, how was your day at work today? It was kind of bloody. Well, what did, what did you do today? Well, I killed a bull. I kept the fire going. The fire has to go all the time. And it's just this continual work. I mean, we kind of think of this idea of being a priest. And, and it is noble, but it's difficult and it's repetitive. And there's just this continual sacrifice that is taking place. I don't know if you ever feel like your worship's like that a little bit. I mean, there's times where our worship is really exciting and emotional and we're on cloud nine. But then there's other times where it's fairly mundane. It's like, okay, it's another Wednesday night. Lord, I'm being faithful to you. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to listen on the live stream. Okay, it's a Thursday morning. Don't necessarily feel like getting out of bed, but Lord, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to seek you in the word. And okay, it's another day to hit the pavement and go to work and face the, face the challenges there. And these priests had to live this out on a day-to-day basis. And that's really where worship's lived out in our lives. And the emotions come and go, and there's ups and there's downs, but just that continual of, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to be in the Lord's, the Lord's presence. And the priests were, were faithful to do that. So now the sin offering is broken up into different categories. There's the sin offering for the whole congregation of Israel. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they had done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty, when the sin which they had committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. This is interesting because it's the whole nation realizes that they're in sin before God. And again, it's unintentional. It wasn't their plan to be in rebellion to God and disobedience to God. But there's this awakening amongst the nation of, man, we've done something wrong against God's command. We need to get right with the Lord. We need to make a sin offering, not for an individual, but for us as a group of people. What if that happened to the United States of America? What what if as a nation we realize that we've sinned before God? And we've forgotten God and rebelled against God and rejected Christ. And there was this move of the Spirit that we were open to where we said we wanted to get right with the Lord. And not offering an animal, but looking to Jesus who was sacrificed for our sins. This is powerful to think of the children of Israel coming to this point where they're like, we need a sacrifice for our sins as as a nation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So now it's not the priest putting his hands upon the bull, but all of the elders of Israel putting their hands uh, upon the bull. The, The elders saying, we're responsible for this. This sin that's happened in the nation, we're responsible uh, for this. And we want to humble ourselves, but before, before the Lord. And what if that was the, the case where there's positions of leadership throughout our country where we humbled ourselves and said, man, I'm responsible for this. We see that in the heart of Daniel and we see that in the heart of Nehemiah. 
Even though it wasn't their sin personally, they owned the sin of the land. So God, we've defiled you. We've forgotten you. We want to get get right with you. And we see that represented here uh, with the elders. Verse 16. Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. If you ever notice a mechanic who works hard with his hands, there tends to be a bit of oil residue on his hands. can't fully get it off. And I wonder if they use the same finger to dip into the blood if eventually you've got a little bit of a red finger. That, That blood never fully comes off as they're dipping the finger into the blood and then sprinkling it seven times. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining of the blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So you'll notice this emphasis on the blood, the blood, the blood, leading to the atonement for sin. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar, and he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering, thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. What's so beautiful about this is the priest makes offering which results in atonement for the nation of Israel. And Jesus is both the priest and the lamb. We need a priest. We need an advocate. We need someone to go on our behalf before the Father. The book of Hebrews tells us that that's Jesus. And this word atonement in the Old Testament, it means to cover. We see the first covering for sin when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and God killed an animal to provide covering for them because they realized they were naked. That's the idea of atonement in the Hebrew word. But atonement in the Greek that's used in the New Testament speaks of for sin to be reconciled, for sin to be removed from us. Jesus doesn't simply cover our sin, but he removes our sin from us as the priest and also as the the perfect sacrifice. In verse 22, this is the sin offering for the ruler. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if he sins which he has committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring as his offering a kid of goats, a male without blemish. And Jesus is that sacrifice without blemish. A ruler specifically is pointed out. There's a higher accountability for the ruler's If they're to sin, then there's to be the sacrifice for their sin. And other than Jesus, we know that every ruler has sinned. Amen? (laughs) That every earthly leader has sinned. That every ruler needs a savior, needs someone to die upon the cross. As we go to election season and vote, and I, I hope you do, is wherever you land, you're voting for a sinner. I hope you know that right? That ruler that you're voting for, and I think some do reflect more biblical values than others, but at the end of the day, they need a savior. They need someone to die on the cross for their sins, just like you and I. And as we go through this text, 
we're going to see that everyone needs a Savior, that everyone needs this sin sacrifice that Jesus provides. And what a great thing to be praying that our leaders would come to know Christ from all parties, would be humbled and turn to the Lord and trust Christ for salvation. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat, again, this identification that the goat's paying the price for sin, and shall kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour its blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. And he shall burn all of its fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin and it shall be forgiven him. Probably a distinct smell that came with the priests from the butchering, not necessarily a good smell. And then from all this burning of fat, you could be walking around the corner and you're like, hey, I think that's one of the sons of Aaron. That's one of the priests. There's a distinct smell uh, to them. All the frankincense that would be in the tabernacle as well. I think these guys probably brought home a smell from their day's work. Now there's a sacrifice for the common people. So sacrifice for the ruler, but a sacrifice for the common people. And just as all rulers are sinners, all of us common people are sinners. All common people need Jesus to die on the cross for their sin. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he's committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as a sin offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed." I like what's emphasized here. Here's an unintentional sin, but then it comes to your knowledge. And then when it comes to your knowledge, then this is the time to make the sin offering. And for us as well, is in this area of unintentional sin, when the Holy Spirit brings it to light, when someone else confronts us with it. Hey, I don't know if you realize that you've been treating me this way. Okay, it's come to my knowledge, then I want to get right with the Lord. We don't go and make a sacrifice for sin. Jesus has paid for our sin, but we confess our sin. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And as we confess our sin, then then God cleanses us from righteousness. But it's important to, to acknowledge sin when it's revealed to us. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering, verse 30. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger And guess what? Put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour all the remaining of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat. As fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn it on the altar and its sweet aroma to God. So here we have sinners unintentionally falling short, but there's a sacrifice for sin providing a covering, not a removal of sin, and it's pleasing to God. How much more so is the blood of Jesus pleasing to the Father as we trust in the blood of Christ. So priests shall make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. Verse 32. And if he brings a lamb as a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put on the horns of the altar, And pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat 
and the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin and he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. So we go into chapter five. And now chapter five looks at the trespass offering. So the the sin offering is unintentional sin. Trespass offering is willful uh, disobedience. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath... And as a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell, he bears guilt. So you hear an oath, you, you hear that someone has committed to a particular thing, but they don't follow through with that commitment. If you don't provide the accountability, then you bear guilt, you bear responsibility. Or if a person touches anything, any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, he is unaware of it when he realizes that then he shall be guilty. So also responsibility for what you touch. And if you touch something that is unclean, then you become unclean. One of the things that's so valuable about studying these chapters is it helps us to see the holiness of God and how much we need the sacrifice of Jesus and how valuable the sacrifice of Christ is. Aren't you so glad we're not under the old covenant? Rocky Mountain Calvary would look a lot different. The the cafe would be a, a sacrificial area instead of a place to come enjoy a breakfast burrito with bacon in it, right? So the grace of God, but this helps us to understand how rich and how deep the sacrifice of Christ is for us. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. It seems like the first area of sin that God's addressing here with the trespass offering has to do with our mouth and has to do with our commitments. And oftentimes our words get us into more trouble. Our sinful words will lead to sinful actions. Verse 5, And it shall be when he's guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess it, that he has sinned in that thing. So this is an important understanding of sin that carries through into the New Testament. It carries into the, to the new covenant. We're encouraged as we take communion tonight in a few moments to search our hearts, to look within us. I think of it like trash day. Wednesdays is when our trash gets collected. And we go through our house and Wyatt and I make sure we get all the trash from all the variety of, of trash cans, get it out to the curb, What happens in your home when you miss trash day one week? Every once in a while, it's like it gets by me and the trash truck goes up the street and we've missed trash day. By the time next Wednesday comes around, the trash is really overflowing, isn't it? If the weather's a little bit warm, it's starting to get a little bit stinky, right? What happens in our hearts as believers, even though we're forgiven of sin, if we don't take inventory if we don't allow the Lord to search us and, and to know us, it starts to build up. It starts to fester. It starts to get a bit, a bit stinky. 
And as we confess our sin, there's this wonderful transaction that takes place as God forgives us of our sin and he cleanses us from righteousness. You say, wait a second, I, I thought I was forgiven. Yes, you are. But it's the restoration of relationship. I think that this is a lot what we see in our families, especially in marriage. Like in a healthy marriage, you may get sideways with your spouse and sin against each other, but because of your commitment to the Lord and your commitment to each other, the relationship's not in jeopardy. You have that unconditional love for each other, but the relationship's not quite right. There's not peace in the relationship. There's some tension in the relationship, and rightfully so, because sin has has taken place. But then when you humble yourself, and sometimes both of you humbling yourselves and acknowledge your sin, there's forgiveness that's extended, and there's restoration in relationship. The relationship is in a place of, of peace. And it's the same way with our relationship with God, is that he's light, and no darkness dwells with with light. So if we want to have fellowship with the light, we've got to walk in the light. And that means that we bring our sin to the light. And instead of justifying it, we acknowledge it. We agree with God. We go, God, this anger is wrong. Would you, would you forgive me? God, this lust is wrong. Would you forgive me? This bitterness is wrong. Would, would you forgive me? And as we're reading the scriptures and going through our days, the Holy Spirit will be illuminating sin to us. And if we're open to it, if we pray the way David prayed in Psalms 139, Lord, search me and know me. Sometimes there's things that God sees that we don't see in ourselves. Sometimes even others will believe the facade and believe the mask, but God sees through that, and he sees what's going on in our our hearts and our lives. Repentance and confession seems like such heavy words, but they're so freeing, aren't they? It's so good. If you're like me, there's sometimes where I'm wrestling with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit's saying, Eric, it's, it's time for you to fess up to this. It's time for you to agree with me on this. It's time for you to share with those that you're in accountability with so that they can pray for you. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to do that. God, can't just you and I clear this up? I want you to, no, I need you to share this. What does James 5 tell us? As we confess our faults to one another and pray for one another, we're healed. So there's acknowledging before God, first and foremost. And then there's going to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Men sharing with men, women sharing with women, unless it's your spouse, saying, I need prayer for this. This is a sin. This is a fault in my life. And so many times by simply doing that, that's letting the light in. And as we let the light in and trust God's promises and allow someone to pray for us in this area of compromise, God does a great victory in our lives, cleanses us from sin, forgives us, and then there's a breakthrough (coughs) that takes place. (coughs) Excuse me. So important confession. Goes all the way back here to Leviticus chapter 5. Verse 6, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for a sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sins. Verse 7, if he's not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, 
as one has a sin offering and the other has a burnt offering, and he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin first and wring off its head from its neck, but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. So you can't afford to bring the lamb. You can't afford to bring the bull. Then you can bring the two turtle doves, the two young pigeons. But if you can't afford the pigeons and you can't afford the turtle doves, then there is also provision. But if he's not able to bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons, then he who has sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, but it is a sin offering. So keep it simple. Bring the ephah of flour, the one-tenth of ephah of flour. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin, that he has committed in any of these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest shall be the priests as a grain offering. So the priests are able to eat some of the sacrifice that was given for their own nourishment. Have you ever felt like, man, I can't really afford to give in the way that I would really like. I, I, I don't have the lamb. I don't have the bull. God's worthy of the lamb. He's worthy of the bull. God doesn't say, well, then don't bring a sin offering. He's like, well, do you have the money for two pigeons and two turtle doves? Yeah. Yeah, I sure do. Well, bring that unto the Lord. I, I really would like to bring the two turtle doves and the two pigeons, but I really can't afford it. Okay, then bring one-tenth of the ephah of flour. Do you think that any was less meaningful to the Lord? Do you think the Lord is looking down at the family that brings the one-tenth of ephah of flour and going, come on, I was, I was really wishing that it was a, a lamb. We see that with the widow's might, don't we? And Jesus sees the, the widow giving, not out of her excess, but there's real sacrifice in her giving. And, and Jesus says that's an example of giving. So giving's not about the monetary value. It's not about how much is, is given unto the Lord, but it, it's the heart in which that it, it's given. Inside of this trespass offering, there's instructions on restitution. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks, which your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary is a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. And he shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priests. 
So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. So adding 20%, one-fifth to it and giving it to the priest. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commitments of the Lord, though he doesn't know it, yet he is guilty and he shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring it to the priest, a ram without blemish, from the flock with your valuation of trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and didn't know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. Chapter 6 continues in this vein. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass offering against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping— or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he's found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely. In any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what he has delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he has done or that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore it full value, add one-fifth, add 20% more to it, and give it to him, whoever it belongs, on the day of his trespass offering. So let's dive into this a little bit, this whole idea of restitution. First and foremost, before God, we can never make restitution for our sins. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is so valuable and sufficient, tremendous, where it not only forgives us of our sins, but reconciles, brings us into right relationship with God. When it comes to human relationships and the idea of restoring a relationship when we've done wrong, is there wisdom in seeking a person in an apology, but also in restitution? Yes. How so? I grew up on Meyer Drive in Grants Pass, Oregon. And across the street from our house, one house up was an empty lot. They were half-acre lots, so there was a half-acre that was just a field. We lived on a dead-end street. Meyer Drive was a dead-end street. So we would often play baseball on that half-acre empty lot. And across the street was a widow named Lena. And she was from Germany and had escaped from Germany right before things got crazy with uh, the Nazis. And her husband, Carl, had, had passed away. And we would hit that baseball sometimes so hard that it would go over the street and over her house into the backyard. But sometimes when you would hit it, it would hit her house. And we knew this. We knew that her house was a potential hazard to our baseball playing. And if you got it into the street, it was a home run. If you got it over the street, you know, it was a super, super home run. So my brother and I and our best friends, Brendan and Jared, we're out playing baseball. My brother is a really good baseball player. Wasn't too much of a problem for me because half the time I would miss the ball. Uh, but he, man, he could just hit the ball and he makes this great hit, but it's a bit more of a line drive. And she has this big picture window right off her driveway and she'd always sit, she was an elderly lady, she'd always sit in her chair 
by the window. And the baseball went right through that front window, right through that big window. And the baseball lands in her living room. And the poor lady was scared, scared half to death that we broke the window. She wasn't too happy. My dad wasn't too happy. Do you think it went over with my dad and with Lena? Hey, dad, we're really sorry. We knew that this was a possibility, but we did it anyway. Sure, it was nice that we said our sorry, but guess what my dad said? You're paying for the window, right? So he paid it up front to get it fixed, and then we paid dad back through that summer, working it off, doing chores for other neighbors. That's restitution. That's, that's the way the world works. Like if you're sorry, then you're going to show it in your actions and try to repay the wrong that you have, have done. And again, it's not so much about exactly being able to repay the wrong that was done, but it's the heart behind it. So if you find yourself in a broken relationship over sin, it may be something to pray through and say, Lord, how do I approach them in an apology, in a humble and broken heart, but also with restitution? What, What would it be some way that I could approach them that says, I realize This is the damage that I've caused, and I want to try to make it right, plus 20%. (laughs) Why the 20%? You know, why did God add that one-fifth on there? Because he wanted to teach them. He wanted to instruct them, hey, sin has a price, and there's damage that that comes from from sin. In verse 6, And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priests. So the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven any of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. We end out the chapter where God gives commands to the specific sacrifices, the the burnt offering and such. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. So this is the command that goes with the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. So before you were to give the burnt offering, you had to set it out on the hearth the night before, and the fire needed to stay lit. This speaks of intentionality. You had to plan ahead and have the sacrifice set out all night have the fire burning all night. The priests had to keep the fire going perpetually. There's something about our worship and our sacrifice is to get intentional about it. Really good prayer and worship time in the morning usually starts the night before. Or it's like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to set my alarm clock. When I, when I first wake up, I'm, I'm going to give, get up and spend that time uh, with the Lord. You probably didn't get here on a Wednesday night by happen chance. It was intentional. You made effort to to be here. And that's the purpose that is seen in worship, being purposeful. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp, to a clean place and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and it shall not be put out and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering 
in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So again, the jobs of the priests so looked up to in such an honorable position, but at the end of the day, somebody was the fire boy. Somebody was, had the job of just keeping the wood chopped and making sure the fire was continually lit. And God says, I don't want this fire to ever go out. And this is symbolic of our love for the Lord. God doesn't want that fire to ever go out. But sometimes it does, doesn't it? Because we are sinned, sinful and flawed. And we go to the Lord and say, God, would you light me up again for you? Would you keep my love burning for you? And ultimately, God's the consuming fire that never burns out. His, his love and passion for us is what never goes out. In verse 14, the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it its handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar of sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of Aaron and his sons shall eat with the unleavened bread. It shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat it. This is the first food court in scripture right here. Ooh, that was brutal, huh? So there was leftovers of the grain offering that they could eat for their own provision, but they needed to do it at the tabernacle, in the court of the tabernacle. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the trespass offering, and the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generation concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. So only the priests uh, could eat of, of this. Verse 19, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, what they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. So the grain offering was split up and offered to the Lord half in the morning and half at night, starting the day with worship and ending the day with worship. I suggest to you how you start the day and how you end the day is really powerful. It's really important. I've been paying attention to this more in my own life because I was noticing that I was waking up in the morning feeling very discouraged. And the first few thoughts of the day were one of grumbling and complaining and, and pretty negative. So I was praying about it and saying, Lord, I want to work on this. And what I thought of is I want to go to bed at night in an attitude of worship. So I've been trying to end my day reading a devotional. I'm reading Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. There's an edited version that's in more modern English that I, I prefer. It's quick, a few minutes, but I'll, I'll read that just right before I put my head on the pillow and try to end my day in a place of worship, in a place of, of thanksgiving. And I find myself when I do that at night, it's easier to wake up in the morning in a place of gratitude. And I'm trying 
the first thing of the day, even before I get out of bed, you know when you, you first wake up and you have some thoughts while you're in the bed? That, that's the place where the negativity was getting me. And as quickly as possible, I'm trying to turn those thoughts to praise, to turn those thoughts to thanksgiving and thanking the Lord for the gift of life. And it's amazing when I do that, how that then sets a trajectory for the day. How do you start your day? You know, what are, what are the first few things that you think about when your feet hit the carpet or hit the hardwood? But if we can take this principle and say, I want to offer a sacrifice unto the Lord in the morning, and I want to offer a sacrifice to the Lord at the end of the day, it's probably going to impact the way that we live the, the rest of the day. In verse 21, and it shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons, who is anointed in his place, shall offer it. It is statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. This idea of the whole sacrifice being burned, our whole life given over to the Lord. Jesus was a complete sacrifice that was surrendered unto the, the Father. And we conclude with the law of the sin offering. Also the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessels in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall both scorched and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. No sin offering for which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. Can we say, praise the Lord for the Lamb of God who is slain to take away our sins? That Jesus is the sin offering. That Jesus is the trespass offering. And as we take communion, not in condemnation, but in celebration, Let's open up our hearts. Say, Lord, search me, know me. Is there sin that needs to be confessed to the Lord? And as we confess our sin to the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we do thank you that you're our sin offering that you're our trespass offering. We're not even aware of all of the sin that we do unintentionally, but you see it and you know it. But yet there is plenty of sin, plenty of trespass that we're fully aware of. And we thank you, Jesus. We behold you, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Would you search us? Would you know us as we enter into communion tonight? And show us where we need to get right with you. Would you really bless this time of fellowship with you? In Jesus' name.